0: Well, we're in this series called Everyday Spiritual, and what we're doing in this series is um, just talking about how to follow Jesus in normal life. And sometimes when we talk about, when we think about um, being a Christian, it can seem like something that you do when you're at church or when you're at group or when you put your Christian hat on, um, but it can feel disconnected from normal life. And so this series is about some attitudes, some attributes that we can pursue and try to put on in order to follow Jesus in normal life. And we've said that becoming like Jesus, if we're going to be people who become like him, that it's going to be more about everyday steps than epic leaps. It's going to be more about everyday steps than epic leaps. And so what are some of the everyday steps that we can pursue in order to help us become like Jesus? That's what we've been talking about. So two weeks ago, we talked about humility. Last week, we talked about generosity. And this week, we're going to talk about priority. Priority it's the habitual choice to reorder your life around Jesus. The habitual choice to reorder your life around Jesus. Um, Last week, I was having coffee with Alex Brockman. And um, as we were talking, he pulls out this notebook and he starts taking notes. He asks me how I'm doing and he starts taking notes. And I thought, that makes me feel like he's going to remember this. Now, he may not ever look at that again, but there's something about him doing that that makes me feel like he's trying to make me a priority. And he started talking about his, I'm just bragging, this is, the, we'll, we won't brag on him the whole sermon, but, um, but as he was talking, he, he was explaining how he's learned with, he's got two small kids, and um, he's learned that if he's going to prioritize Jesus in his life, but it means he has to wake up at 4.30 because his kids are going to wake up eventually. And if he wants to be in the state of mind where he's excited to see them and he's excited to invest in them before he goes to work, if he wants to be in that state of mind, then he needs like an hour before they wake up. And so he wakes up at 4.30 just to carve out time for him to spend time with the Lord. And I thought, that is such a great Picture of a man who wants to be godly in his home. He wants to be godly in his marriage. He wants to be somebody who pursues God. And so what has he had to do? He's had to reorder his life around that. And I thought, I need to be more like that. Not in like a, you know, um, a guilt feeling way, but in like a experiencing. Alex, in that, was an encouragement to me. It was propelling me towards, I need to reorder some things in my life as well. Now, this is not a message about, you have to wake up at 4.30, okay? If you are not a morning person, this is not like just, we've got a cup of guilt that we're ready to just shower you with this morning. That's not what this is. But the point is this, that if you're going to follow Jesus if you're going to become like him, eventually it has to become a priority. Eventually you have to reorder things around that, right? You've all seen the cliche uh, little illustration about you've got this jar and if you put the rocks in first, uh, then the, the, you, the sand will fit. But if you put the sand in first, the rocks won't fit. You've seen that, Right? And I always get to my nerves when people uh, use that because I just feel like, doesn't everybody already know this? Um, but maybe you don't. Maybe we should have done it. But, um, but that's the idea, that eventually if we are going to become like Jesus, we've got to make it a priority. We've got to do some things to make it a priority. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at just one verse that has been instrumental for me in figuring some of this out. Um, this is a verse that I heard a man named Howard Hendricks say, um, preach on when I was uh, in seminary. Um, and so in 2012, I heard him preach this and I made this little index card that sat in my Bible for like four years. And every morning I would read these three questions and I would kind of evaluate my life based on these three questions that he gave from this one verse. And so this morning, um, we're just going to look at that verse and we're going to read it And then from the verse, we're going to ask three questions. And these are three simple, basic questions that you can use to evaluate your life, to help you prioritize Jesus. And if you start asking these three questions, these will be three questions that can become like guardrails in your life. They'll become guardrails that keep you moving in Jesus's direction. And so that's what we're going to do. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Verse 15. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Listen to that one more time. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So here's the first question Is the Lord well pleased? Is the Lord well-pleased? When you think about your life, when you think about your decisions, when you think about your day, is the Lord well-pleased? He says, present yourself to God as one who's approved. That means as one that God approves of. Present yourself to God as one approved. Is the Lord pleased? Is he well-pleased? Now, here's where we get that phrase, well-pleased. It's a similar word to the word approved here. Um, in the Gospels, two or three different times, um, God the Father from heaven speaks of Jesus and says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. With whom I'm well pleased. That is, this is my Son who I approve of. That happens at Jesus' baptism and it happens at his transfiguration. What was it about Jesus that caused him to be pleasing? To his father. What was it that caused him to be pleasing to his father? There were definitely others in Jesus' life who had some goals for him, that had some desires for Jesus. His family had some desires for him. His family had a plan for Jesus' life. They wanted him to stop preaching because they thought he was embarrassing the family. Imagine that, okay? Jesus' friends, his disciples had a vision for his life, had some plans for him. They wanted him to stop talking so much about his death. They wanted him to promise that they would have a place in his future kingdom, so they wanted some power from him. They wanted to send kids away because kids got in the way. But Jesus didn't listen to his family or his friends. The Jews of the day, Jesus' people, the people he interacted with, they all had some plans for him. They had some things that they wanted him to do so that they would be pleased. Some of them wanted him to speak out against the Roman authorities and overthrow the government. Some of them wanted him to um, take over the temple and recreate uh, an order, a government Others of them them just wanted him to stop preaching and teaching and doing miracles. They all had some plans for him. They all had some things that they wanted him to do. And if Jesus had lived his life seeking the approval of others, he would have been a total failure with his father. Instead, Jesus says that I have come to do my father's will. So what is it about Jesus that is pleasing to the Father? It's that Jesus is seeking his approval from no one else except the Father. He's seeking his approval from the Father. Jesus also had some plans for himself. There there are some things that Jesus could have done that would have been better for him from an earthly perspective. One time he's taken up to the temple mount which is this, the pinnacle of the temple. It's this big high place. You can see all the people down below and you can see the city of Jerusalem from there. You can still visit there today. And he's taken up to the top, the pinnacle. You can't get up there today, but, uh, but he's taken up there and he's offered all power and all authority. And he says, no, why? Why? Because he didn't come to even seek his own approval, but to seek the approval of his father. So let me ask you this question Whose approval are you seeking? Whose approval are you seeking? When you go to make decisions, when you think about your life, when you do the things the way that you do them, why are you doing those things? Who is in your mind that you are trying to please? Maybe it's someone that you respect. Your grandmother, your dad, one of your buddies that has helped you out before, your spouse maybe. It's somebody that you love and respect and in your mind you kind of make decisions based on is this going to please them? Are they going to approve of this? Maybe it's not really so much somebody that you love and respect. Maybe it's somebody that you feel pressure to please. Maybe in the way that you grew up in your home It was just expected that you do things the way dad wants you to do them. And there's still that little voice in your head now. Even though you've grown up, there's still like this little thing on your shoulder speaking to you as you make decisions. And you feel this pressure to be a certain way, to do things a certain way, because of how somebody in your mind is going to perceive it. Who are you seeking approval from? Is it somebody you love and respect? Is it somebody you just feel pressure from? Maybe it's even yourself. The thing in our culture that is probably most pervasive is just the desire to approve of yourself. You don't want to get to a point in your life where you've made all the decisions that you've made and all of your beliefs have been forced upon you from the outside world. But if you're going to have real satisfaction if life is going to really be what all that it could be for you, then what you need to do is shut off everybody else's external pressures that they're putting on you. You need to dig down like your heart is this cave that needs to be explored and you need to listen to your true self. You need to find your inner child, your your innocent self. You need to shed off all these external factors that the world has lobbed at you, and you need to be saved. And the way that you can do that is you can go see a therapist or a counselor, and they can help you dig down deep and discover who you really are. Well, see, the reason that you make these decisions is because you're a three on the Enneagram. And the way that that plays out is um, your basic fear is this. Now, all of that stuff can be really helpful. All of that stuff can can help you understand why do I do the things the way that I do them and why do certain people frustrate me and how can I better relate to the people in my life. All those things are great. Therapy is great. My wife is going to be a counselor come May as soon as she graduates, right? So I'm not against that. The problem is when the goal of you finding real life, real, satisfying, fulfilling life, when the goal becomes you're, you're trying to find out what's most pleasing to you, Basically, you're reducing happiness to your desires. What makes me happy? The problem with that is if you live your life solely seeking your happiness alone, eventually you end up very lonely. This verse says to do your best to present yourself to God as one who's approved. That means that rather than presenting yourself to these people that you love and respect, that you just, man, I feel like I need to live up to to them. Or rather than presenting yourself to these people who put pressure on you, that you just feel this pressure. Maybe they don't even try, but you just perceive this pressure from them to please them. Rather than presenting yourself to them for approval, and rather than even presenting yourself to yourself for approval, you present yourself to God as one who's approved. Is the Lord well pleased when you think about your life? Is the Lord well pleased? Is the Lord re- well pleased with how you run your business? Is the Lord well pleased with how you respect your boss? Is the Lord well pleased with how you love your spouse? Is he well pleased with how you parent your kids? Is he well pleased with how you spend your downtime? Is he well pleased with how you handle your money? Is he well pleased with how you use your body? Is the Lord well pleased? Is the Lord well pleased? Now, do you know what kind of people? Do you know what kind of people will be able to present themselves to God for approval? Do you know what kind of people will be able to reorder their lives around the priority of pleasing the Lord? Do you know what kind of people will do that? People who believe that what God says is true and that what God has is better. People who believe that what God says is true and what God has is better. If you don't believe that what he says is true and if you don't believe that what he has is better, It makes no sense to present yourself to this invisible thing. But if you believe that God is true, that he's wise, that he's the smartest person you could go to for advice about how to live, if you believe that, and if you believe that what he has for you is better than what the world can offer you, then you will present yourself to him. See, the Bible says that it's impossible To please God without faith. So, presenting yourself to God as one approved doesn't begin with willpower. It doesn't begin with you making a list of things that you need to do differently. It begins with trust. Following Jesus is about trust from beginning to end, it's about what you believe from beginning to end. It starts and ends with faith. And your faith grows as you experience God's faithfulness when you take steps. So it begins and ends with faith. And so listen, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian or you're not sure or maybe you used to be and you're back and you're just trying to figure out where you stand. Listen, here's what you need to hear. That God has made you. He has made you to experience real, satisfying life. Life of abundance. That's what he's made you for. But all of us have ways that we ruin that. We mess it up. Like the song said, we've got a head full of rocks. You know, there have been times where you think, this is going to be a great idea, and it's a terrible idea, right? We've all got that. And we've got a heart full of stone where even when we knew what the right thing to do was, we were like, uh, but I'm just going to do what I want anyway. We've all got that in us, and that ruins the life that God has intended for us. It damages our connection with him, our fellowship with him, our relationship and friendship with him. It damages that. So here's what God has done for you. You couldn't get back into good terms with God on your own. You could not just come up with the the gumption, the inner fortitude to get your life right, to be fully pleasing to him. You couldn't do that. Just like I couldn't do that. And so here's what God has done for you. Rather than look at you as someone who never measures up, Rather than look at you as someone who I can't believe she's in this mess again. Rather than look at you as someone who has hurt people, let people down, disappointed people, embarrassed yourself and your family. Rather than condemn you, God has sent his son Jesus to bring you back. What you could not do on your own, God has done for you. God has sent his son, Jesus, to come to the earth and present himself as one who's approved to God. Every standard that you need to meet, Jesus met. And then Jesus, the one who is approved of by God, the one who has perfectly pleased the Father, Jesus goes to the cross and he dies in your place, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring you to God. The reason that he can do that for you is because he is the one who's approved of by God. He is the one who has pleased the Father. And so Jesus can stand in the gap in your place to bring you back to God. So if you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, the solution to this message for you is not, okay, I got to go out here and I got to try to make a list and do what God wants me to do. The solution is to come and trust in Jesus. Come and believe in Jesus. Come confess your need for him and trust him that he is the one who can bring you back to the Father. He is the one who can bring you back towards life that is satisfying. Trust that. That's the step for you this morning is come and believe. And if you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, the step is the same for you. It is come and repent. That is change how you've been thinking about life. Repent of you presenting yourself to others for approval. Repent of that and trust that only in presenting yourself to God will you be led towards life. Repent and believe. Come and believe this morning. So that's the first question. Is the Lord well pleased? Is the Lord well pleased? And you know what pleases him? Faith. Is the Lord well pleased? Here's the second question. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. The word worker here refers to a hired hand that would help out on a field or a farm. And so the idea here is that you are like a worker in God's field, the world. And so here's the second question. Is the work well done? Is the work well done? Is the work well done? Now, there's two different types of work that we need to talk about. First, we're going to call this gospel work. Gospel work. If you are a follower of Jesus, that means you're going to do the kinds of things that Jesus does. He's the leader, and so you're going to copy him. You're going to follow him. And Jesus' activity in the world is primarily focused on what I'm calling gospel work. So here's Jesus' marching orders. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This will be on the screen for you. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he's the leader. Verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And look, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Acts chapter one, verse eight says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. If you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, then your primary job in the world is to help people come to know and follow Jesus. That's your primary goal in the world. Now, for everybody, depending on how you're gifted and how you're called and what you do for a living, that's going to look different. But that's what everybody's job is. We're, we, we all have the same job description from Jesus. It's that. It's to help people come to know him and to follow him. Now, he's given us the Holy Spirit to help us with that. That's why we read Acts 1.8. We didn't stop with just the Matthew version. Because he's given us the Holy Spirit to help us, to empower us, to be witnesses. A witness is just somebody who tells tells people about what they've seen. That's what a witness is. You tell people about what you've seen, what you've experienced. The Holy Spirit, God has given us so that we can have power to do that. Power may come in the form of confidence. It may come in the form of knowing what to say. But the Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we can do the job. And the Holy Spirit, one of the ways that he empowers us is he gives us gifts. And we've all got different gifts. Some of you are good at talking to people who are not Christians. Some of you are good at investing one-on-one with people. Some of you are really good at caring for people when they're hurting, when they're walking through a tough time. Some of you are really good at organizing things. Some of you are good at speaking like this. Some of you are good at encouraging people, at putting wind in their sails. We've all got different gifts that the Spirit has given us and why has he given us those gifts? So that we can help people know him And we can help people follow him. We can build up the church. The church just means the group of people who belong to Jesus. That's why we've been given gifts. So all of us are workers in God's field. The question is, is the work being done well? Is the work well done? Is the work well done? So just a couple questions for you to think about as you evaluate the gospel work that you're doing in your life. Are you building friendships with people who don't know Jesus? Are you building friendships with people who don't know Jesus? Now, if if you're here this morning and and that's you, you're like, I'm not, I don't know if I am a Christian, okay? And it feels like a little awkward that we're talking about it. Listen, you need to know, we love you. We're glad you're here. But we want to be your friend, okay? We don't just want to try to persuade you of, Here's the stuff you got to believe so you can be in the club or whatever. That's not the goal. We want to be your friend. We want to love you. We want to see your life flourish. And that's the reason we care about this stuff. We're not trying to convert you into just our way of viewing the world so we can have a stronger political block or we can, you know, just have more people around us who are like us. That's not our goal. Our goal is to love you well and we believe that one of the Best things that could happen to you is you would come to know this Jesus and what He does for us. So that's the reason that we're talking about that in front of you. Um, do you know how to share your faith? If you're going to do gospel work well, do you know how to share your faith? If you don't, here's a good next step: just say that to somebody and say, "Hey, do you know how to do this? Could we? How do how do we learn? Just say it to somebody." Find a friend and just mention it and say, hey, we, this is an area I would like to grow. Could we grow together or could you help me? Here's another question. Are you investing your life in other Christians? Are you investing your life in other Christians? Here's a, a good evaluation question here. If everyone blank like you, would the church be healthier? Here's what I mean. If everybody served like you, would the church be healthier? If everybody gave like you, would the church be healthier? If everybody built friendships with non-Christians like you, would the church be healthier? If everybody invested their lives in people and encouraged people like you, would the church be healthier? If everybody was committed to gospel work like you? Would the church be healthier? Now listen, again, that's not a cup of guilt that we're trying to drench you with. That's just an honest evaluation that you can take that will help you determine is Jesus a priority? Is becoming like Jesus a priority for me? Listen, this is one of the reasons that the Kids City training is so important. Okay? Okay? Kids City on Sunday mornings is not child care. It is not child care. It is ministry. And there is a big difference. The people back there right now are not babysitters. They are ministers. And so that's the reason that as a church, we want to do a good job of recruiting more people to serve there and training you to know how to do it. Because it's not just babysitting for an hour. It's ministry. But God does not just call us to do gospel work. He also calls us to do what I'm calling, for the sake of this message, common grace work. Now, common grace refers to what God does just for all people at all times to provide for them. Like, you don't have to think about breathing. That's just God's common grace allowing that to happen. You don't have to plan for it to rain so that your, you know, crops will grow. <laughs> God just makes it rain. That, uh, like, that sounds like he's in the club. That's not what I mean. Um, he, you know what I'm saying. Um, God just does that kind of stuff, okay? That's common grace. And listen, every single job, so whatever job you have, every single job is God's way Of caring for people in some way. It's God's way of providing for people in some way. I made just a quick list. Policemen, custodians, plumbers, people who work in restaurants, nurses, teachers, coaches, salesmen, homemakers, IT guys, bankers, attorneys, contractors. Every single job in some way, is a way of God providing for people. Now, I don't have time to give you a whole lesson on this, but this is fascinating to research. But when, when the Protestant Reformation took place, this was one of the revolutionary ideas that they came back to in the scriptures. They, they began to see that this job here was not the highest calling of all. That being up here and being a preacher was not the highest calling. That all jobs, all vocations, can be used by God to care for people. So, if you're an IT guy, all right. If you're an IT guy, have you ever? If you're, let me back up. If you're not an IT guy, okay. Have you ever tried to make something happen at your office when the server was down? Now, you didn't even know what that meant, right? Like, I have no clue. I'm like, how, What is? The, when do I ever use the server, right? But when the server's down, it's like, oh, gosh, might as well all go home for the day, right? So the IT guy is making it possible for you to do stuff that you didn't even know was possible until the IT guy wasn't around or when his stuff was broken, right? So the IT guy is doing something that provides for people. It's the same for... Uh, I've got this friend Dylan when he was in high school he started working for this contractor he was so bad that the only thing that that he could do was be the doorknob installer but he became really good at being the doorknob installer so he just would go around to different sites and just install doorknobs now without that job the door doesn't work right that's the simplest of tasks I don't know I don't know how to put in a doorknob so it's not simple for me but Uh, For him, you know, on the site, it was the simplest of tasks. And him doing that, though, is what provided for the people who were going to be needing to go in and out of the door. So every single job in some way or another cares for people, which means that when you go to work, either today or tomorrow, when you go to work, you are going as somebody who has been empowered by the Spirit of God to go and care for people. Now, what if you viewed your job that way? Listen to Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, now that's a pretty broad category. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, what if you had that mindset when you step into work? Um, Crawford Loretz is a great preacher. And one of the things that he says is, I'll just read it. He says, if you are a lousy worker, take all the Christian stuff down from the cubicle. Okay? If you're a lousy worker, take all the Christian stuff down from, from the cubicle. Don't be the person at work who's like, you know, you've got the, the Christian faith friends and family poster up, and you've got the Bible verse poster up, and you're, you know, telling everybody about Jesus at your job, but you're showing up late and you're not doing it well and you're the person that everybody in the office has to pick up the slack for, don't even talk about Jesus, okay? Because as Christians, we are called to do the work well. Is the work well done? Is the work well done? So that's the second question. Is the work well done? Now, Again, this is not a cup of guilt that we're trying to drench you with. This is a reevaluation of, Jesus, if you're going to be a priority, then that means I need to do everything I do as if I'm doing it for you and not for men. So is the work well done? So let's review. First, is the Lord well-pleased? Second, is the work well done? Here's the third question. Is the word well-used? is the word well used? Look at the last thing he says in verse 15. He says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling it. Now, this is a letter written to a pastor. And so the primary point of application here is that when a person stands up to preach word. They need to do it correctly. They need to do it accurately. That means that the point of the text needs to be the point of the sermon. That the pastor doesn't get to just pick out a Bible verse and, you know, use that as a springboard to talk about whatever he wants to talk about. Okay? And so that's why in our church, we believe in the importance of Good preaching because of verses like this. So, we need to correctly handle the word of truth. Um, This is why doctrine matters, theology matters. It's important to know if the word is being handled correctly. And so, we want to uphold that. But there's also an application for Christians here. Is the word well used in your life? Is it well used? yesterday, was it yesterday? It was sometime this weekend. Um, I was at Calde's, um and uh, there was this uh, man who is 90% blind now, he said. So I don't know how exactly they figured out, but basically he like knew that I was standing there, but he could not see me. And um, we got to talking and one of the things he talked about was how he misses being able to read his Bible, And so he quoted some scripture to me, which I thought was amazing. But he said, basically now, um, he just has to internalize scripture from hearing it and then meditate on it. But he misses being able to sit down with his Bible and read it. And I thought, how sad. How sad that I've got a Bible and I've got two eyes. And how often do I let the Bible sit there and I don't use my eyes to take it in? What about you? Is the word well used? Is the word well used? Are you putting yourself in a position to hear it, to read it, to listen to it preached? Are you putting yourself in a position to do that? What about this? Are you doing anything with it? James chapter one says that we should be doers of the word and not hearers only. Doers of the word. Sometimes as Christians, it's like we think we've had a spiritual experience just if we felt bad about something. (laughs) Right? So like the preacher is preaching, says something, and you're like, man, that was convicting. That was on point. That was hard for me to hear today. And like you think that that was like a spiritual experience. Just you felt bad. (laughs) And that is not the goal. The goal is that you would take what you hear from the word and do something. That you would live in a new way. So is the word well used? Let's review the three questions. Is the Lord well pleased? Is the work well done? And is the word well used? if you would begin asking those three questions as you evaluate your life, as you evaluate your week, your day, if you would begin asking those three questions, they can be like guardrails that propel you forward towards Jesus. They can be guardrails that keep your priorities in line. Let's pray. Father, I ask this morning that you would give us wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard. Give us wisdom, God. God, would you renew our faith for those in the room who might be doubting this morning, God. Would you give them faith to trust? Would you help their unbelief? Would you give us wisdom to know what to do with what we've just heard? And would you give us the courage to do it? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.